Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ron Clifton, and I'm a ruling elder here at Potomac Hills. And before I start, just wanted to tell you what a privilege it is to stand up here and preach a sermon. As I was preparing it over the last few weeks, kind of the weight of the responsibility, uh, really, I could feel it. But now that today's here, I'm eager to share this message with you, and I hope uh, you find it encouraging. Today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, so if you open your Bibles, um, we'll be looking at verses 13 through 15. So pay special attention, this is the Word of God, Galatians 5. 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a great and glorious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We thank you for this day and for our time together worshiping you in this place. We come to this passage today to learn what it means to serve one another. You have freed us from the curse of sin and death and called us to live lives that are free. Help us today to see how our freedom is connected to our service to one another. Help us see Jesus in this word and follow the example he set when he came to serve. For it is in his matchless name we pray. Amen. One commentator described the epistle to the Galatians as the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Paul begins chapter 5 of with the topic of freedom and the desire for the Galatians to avoid legalism. In our passage today, Paul begins with our call to freedom and a warning against misusing that freedom. In fact, Paul describes three types of enslavement. First, there is the enslavement to the law, which leads to legalism and moralism. Second is enslavement to the flesh, which leads to license. And third, there is enslavement to Christ, which paradoxically leads to freedom. By way of illustrating these types of slavery, let's compare and contrast two well-known Englishmen from two different eras, William Wilberforce and Ian Fleming. At the turn of the 19th century, Wilberforce was the leading abolitionist in the British Parliament. For 26 years, he fought, fought the slave trade, finally orchestrating the act that abolished slavery in the British Empire. The movie Amazing Grace shows him growing weary in the three decades long struggle against the deeply entrenched slave trade. It took a toll on his life, on his health, and with his health in decline, he withdrew to a friend's estate to recover. 
after altering his approach to abolishing the slave trade, his efforts bore fruit. He died in 1833, days after hearing that the Slavery Abolition Act was to be passed by the Parliament. By contrast, Ian Fleming, the author of the James Bond books, was a hedonist who lived for his own pleasure and who shared many characteristics with his fictional hero. Fleming's training at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst and service in the Admiralty in World War II provided much technical background for his novels. He presented his hero as a champion of the good, but he lived his own life virtually without restraint. He had many sexual affairs. He was effectively an alcoholic. He smoked like a chimney and he gambled relentlessly. He lived hard and he played hard. His life was cut short in his mid-50s by a heart attack. Both Wilberforce and Fleming were free in some ways and enslaved in others. Fleming lived a hedonist, lived as a hedonist and was enslaved to his natural desires. He was chained to an overpowering love of self. Wilberforce, on the other hand, was yoked to Christ, who constrained him by a greater love so he could give himself freely in the service of others. As, I've, as I stated in the heart prep earlier this week, freedom is a popular word today. Everyone wants to be free, and Americans love to say, well, it's a free country. People want a free hand, a free reign, and a free lunch. Although I think I've heard there's no such thing as a free lunch. In a speech in 1941, Franklin Roosevelt spoke of four freedoms. Freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. According to the gospel, no man is truly free until Jesus Christ rids him of the burden of his guilt. As I stated earlier in our passage, Paul begins uh, by telling the Galatians that they have been called to this freedom. The topic for today's sermon is to serve one another. In my observation, Potomac Hills is a serving church. There are many examples of how the members of Potomac Hills serve one another. Whether as part of the teams that set up, sing worship, run the soundboard, teach children's church or serve in the nursery, members of Potomac Hills serve. Plus, recall a few weeks ago, the letter Dr. Dave wrote, read from Stuart Stern's sister regarding the service that this congregation provided to Stuart. So the focus of this sermon is not on the need to serve more, no, but rather on why we serve. What motivates us to serve? I never really thought of this until I began to prepare this sermon. Up to now, I've spoken of both freedom and serving one another. So you may ask, what does freedom have to do with serving one another? And how does love fit into that picture? There is a connection, so let's explore that together by first looking at uh, Christian liberty in uh, verse 13a. 
For you were called to freedom, brothers. So let's talk about, about freedom or Christian liberty. What is Christian liberty? Christian liberty is freedom from sin. It is not freedom to sin. Romans 6, 6 through 7 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You might say, wait, I thought we all had free will. And you would be right, we do have free will. But what is free will? And how free is it? Really depends on your perspective. Jonathan Edwards, in his work, The Freedom of the Will, defines it as that which the mind chooses. The very essence of free will is choosing according to our desires. Let me say that again. The very essence of free will is choosing according to our desires. But we know about our desires, especially before we were saved. Whether regenerate or unregenerate, neither are forced to choose against their will. We are free to choose according to our desire. But really, how free are we? After the fall, the will of mankind remains intact in that we have the ability to choose, but our minds have been, have been left dark and we are bound to our sinful impulses. We can choose, but we will never desire to choose God. Augustine says that we still have free will, but we have lost our liberty. God must awaken our soul and give us desire for Christ before we will be inclined to choose him. Edward said that fallen human beings retain their natural freedom, that is their freedom to choose what they desire, but they've lost their moral freedom, which is their freedom to choose righteousness. This is the freedom or liberty that we have been called to. Paul says in Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Our freedom is based on our call from God. It was his doing in the first place. So now we can live as those who are free. We are free to choose what is right, rather than being enslaved to choose what is wrong. God calls us to, into relationship with him. He frees us from ourselves. Christian life is a divine and gracious calling to freedom, deeper and more profound than we realize. We become free only by being crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Even though we have been crucified with Christ, our fallen natures have not altogether been eliminated. We still live in fallen bodies, 
and we still live in a fallen world. And the flesh is ruthless and will seize every opportunity to assert itself. And the world around us is right there encouraging us to let down our defenses. There is no doubt our freedom is based on our call from God. So now we're able to live as those who are free. But there's a danger in that freedom. How will we choose to exercise our newfound freedom? We see there is a danger in liberty. Let's look at 13b and then jump ahead to 15. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And then in verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. In verse 13, Paul uses the Greek word sarx for flesh. Spiritually speaking, the flesh means more than the body. It is the part of us that does not want to do what God wants. It is the corrupt human nature in all of its weakness and depravity. Later in the chapter, Paul defines the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all of these things. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. One commentator described Paul's use of the word opportunity in verse 13 in terms of a military base camp as though he was saying, don't let your freedom be a Trojan horse which lets the appetites and the propensities of the flesh loose to burn the city. So our freedom is not to be used as a pretext for self-indulgence. Our liberty is to, not to be turned into unbridled license, which is a dreadful form of bondage. License is a form of slavery to the desires of our fallen nature. It is a threat to liberty by taking freedom to its immoral extreme. The sin uh, in the Galatian church was causing such strife among its members that Paul uses the imagery in verse 15, implying that they would eat one another alive like they were acting like a pack of wild animals towards one another. Jesus said in John 8, 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Anyone who uses freedom to indulge the flesh is not really free at all. Real liberty happens when Christ frees us from sin, not to sin. As Christians, we should hate our sin. It should perplex us as much as it should revolt us. So we've seen that we have been called to freedom and we've been warned about the danger in using our freedom to indulge our sinful desires. How do we get to serving one another? What is the connective tissue that, that connects freedom to service? The answer lies in the antidote to license, which is 
we see in verse 13c, but through love serve one another. Here at the end of verse 13, we see what connects freedom to service. It is love. Uh, my brother Mark Rist down here uh, preached a few weeks ago on loving one another. And in that sermon, Mark spoke of many types of love. But what form of love is Paul referring to here in verse 13? This love is from the Greek word agape, which refers to a self-sacrificial love, the kind of unconditional love that God has for his people, as we see in John 3.16. And this is the love that Jesus referred to in John 13.34 when he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So Paul begins our passage today. For you were called to freedom, brothers. And this is after he's already said in verse one, Christ has set you free. So we are called from, we are called to freedom from serving sin. And now in love, we are to submit to serving each other. The word translated serve comes from the Greek word deluite which can be translated as be a slave or be slaving. So once again, God presents us with a paradox. By setting us free from the bondage of sin, we have been made slaves of God and choose to serve one another. Paul says in Romans 6.22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, through love, we voluntarily become servants to each other. So Christian freedom is a form of servitude, not serving our flesh, but serving one another. An act of preoccupation with love is the antidote to not only feuding between Christians, but also the, but also the demands of the old sin nature. This love not only connects our freedom to our service, but it also acts as guardrails on our, on our freedom, keeping us from indulging our flesh. So you may ask, where does this love which connects our freedom to our service come from? And what does it look like? What is the evidence that we possess it? The love spoken here is not human affection but it is the very love of God. Paul describes this love in Romans 5, 5, when he says, God loves, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This love cannot just be an attitude. It must reveal itself in action. Service to one another is not passive. There is purpose and we are motivated to do it. Due to this love, we look for opportunities to render service. We don't wait for the pastor or for someone else to point out the need. This love is not a theological concept, but a reality that motivates us to action. So the love God pours into our hearts when he regenerates us is what motivates us to use our freedom to serve one another. 
As I said earlier, I never thought of this connection before, but as many of you know, the deacons here at Potomac Hills have a moving ministry. And when I was a new member here, I volunteered to help move a number of families, even though I really didn't know them that well. I never thought about why I was motivated to serve. I guess I assume that's what you're supposed to do when you're a Christian. Paul instructs us that Christ has set us free and God has poured his love into us, connecting our newfound freedom to serving one another. That is what motivates us. So if we must live under law, let's live under the law of Christ, which is the law of love. In verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus teaches that all the law and prophets depend on two commandments, one, to love God, and two, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then John writes about completing or perfecting love, explaining that God loved us first, and then we loved him, and then his love is completed or fulfilled in our love for others. He writes in 1 John 4, 10 through 12, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and set his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Our love, our serving each other, fulfills what God requires, which begins with his love for us and our faith towards him. So how does vertical faith relate to horizontal love? Genuine love for others begins with faith in Christ, as Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So how is it manifested? Faith in Christ is both soul-satisfying and freeing. It liberates us from the prison of self and prompts us to overflow in joy by drawing others in through acts of love. Love is a fruit of the Spirit produced both in us and through us. The image of fruit is appropriate since Fruit is produced slowly over time in tiny increments that you cannot see on a daily basis. Just as God grows fruit in a, in a field or in an orchard, day by day, the Spirit produces the fruit of love in our lives. So how does this love fulfill the whole law when we love each other as ourselves? The gospel of free grace never leads to lawlessness or anarchy. It leads to love and the fulfillment of the law. In Romans 13, eight through 10, Paul sums this up with, owe no one anything except to love each other 
For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall commit adultery, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. What does this what does this look like in your life? Have you seen evidence of this in the life of our church? I have I have seen this firsthand. John Paul May, John, <laughs> uh, speaks of the deacons as the notorious band of sinners. I always chuckle when I hear that. In actuality, through love, they serve each one of us. John Spence has been over to my house um, a number of times to help me with a number of things, including installing a sump pump and bringing his chainsaw to cut up a couple of trees that have fallen down in my yard. He has chosen to use his freedom to serve me and my family. These acts of service, though small, display evidence of a life of love. In our passage for today, Paul motivates the Galatians to serve one another through a reminder in verse 13a, a warning in verse 13b, an encouragement in 14, and then another warning in verse 15. Like the Galatians, we have been called to freedom. There is danger, or I should say, but there is danger in using our freedom to indulge our sinful desires. We've learned that love serves as the antidote to the demands of, sinful, of our sinful nature. It both motivates and animates our service, and at times we are driven to serve. The source of this motivation and drive is the love that God has poured into us. As I said before, this love is not an abstract theological idea. It is poured out into the heart of the believer by God. It reveals itself in action, namely service to others. This is what connects our freedom to our service. Church is a messy place, but it's a mess worth making. At least God thinks so. The key to working out the mess we call church is through love, serve one another. So what does this service look like? What are ways in which we can serve one another? I know there are countless ways, but here are a few examples. We serve one another through love when we pray for one another, as in James 5.16. We should be praying for each other personally and corporately. I know in my community group, we pray for one another regularly. In fact, as many of you know, I experienced a sudden hearing loss in my right ear a few months ago. My community group prayed for me, as did the session, and many of you in this congregation. I believed that God answered those prayers. Most of my hearing has been restored, which has astonished my doctor, so thank you. We serve one another through love when we bear with one another, as in 
Ephesians 4, 1 through 2. Bearing with one another means overlooking offenses and letting go of ways in which others have injured us. Peter addresses this in 1 Peter 4, 8 when he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers the multitude of sins. We serve one another through love when we encourage one another with edifying words, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.29. This can happen when we meet one-on-one or in small groups. An encouraging word can build up someone who is struggling through a difficult time. We serve one another through love when we esteem those who are over us in the Lord. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. This is my second sermon, and the process of preparing this sermon has reminded me of the amount of work it takes to prepare one of these sermons. Dr. Dave and Frank do this week after week, so we should thank them regularly for their service to us. Finally, we can serve one another through love when we count others more significant than ourselves. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. This represents the true mind of Christ. As in many situations in our Christian life, Jesus serves as the ultimate example. Martin Luther once wrote, each of us should become a Christ to the other, and as we are Christ to one another, The result is that Christ fills us all and we become a truly Christian community. As Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, that he came not to be served, but to serve. So we should serve one another through love. However, love is not easy because it points not towards ourselves, but away from ourselves. Paul reminds us in Galatians 5, 5, that it only occurs through the Spirit by faith. And John writes in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he loved us, because he first loved us. Gratitude is our response to the gracious love of God displayed in the death and resurrection of Christ. No one is freer than Jesus, and no one is a greater servant than Jesus, as Paul points out in Philippians 2, 6-7. He is our ultimate example of serving through love, and we should be imitating him. A church of people who don't serve one another through love will destroy itself. This is what Paul told the Galatians. I'm convinced that this is not a problem here at Potomac Hills. As I said earlier, Potomac Hills is a serving church. I've witnessed your service to one another from the first day I walked through those doors at the back of this auditorium almost 14 years ago. If you are new to Potomac Hills and want to hear about the true heart of this church, ask someone who has been here a long time, like the Riss, or the Silvernails, or the Spences, or the Pews. They can give you examples of how this church has rallied around members who have dealt with serious crises and served them in love. 
What I want us to, un to see and understand is why we serve one another. What is it that animates and motivates this congregation to serve one another? It's God's love that he poured into the life of each member of this congregation. This love connects our freedom to our service. This love motivates and animates our service to one another. As Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our new life into which we have been delivered by the death and resurrection of Christ and the power of God is a life of love. So let me ask you, has Christ freed you from the bondage of sin? How are you using your Christian freedom? Does the love that God has poured into you compel you to serve one another? If not, why not? For if you belong to Christ, he has freed you. If you belong to Christ, God has poured his love into your heart. If you belong to Christ, his love acts as an antidote to your sinful desires. If you belong to Christ, his love should motivate and compel you to love one another or to serve one another. If there is no evidence of this love by your service to one another, how will anyone know you are a disciple of Christ? The service we render to one another through love should be a clear evidence that we belong to Christ. A watching world should be able to see that evidence and see Jesus in each of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for all that you are doing in the life of this congregation. You have called us to freedom and have freed us from our sin. You have poured out your love into our lives, leading us to serve one another. We thank you for the perfect example we have in Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Help us, Father, to continue to serve one another, to show the love we have for one another in the service we provide to one another. Let your light shine in this community as a result of this service so that all of Leesburg will see Jesus in our service to one another. It is in his name we pray. Amen.